This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 You're listening to Radio Kidnappers, the voice of Hawke's Bay. This is a programme called Real Wealth and it's our pleasure as always to have in the studio, in the hot seat so to speak. Nick Stew from the Stewart Group in Hastings. How are you going, Nick? Yeah, very well, thank you. Now, Nick, just remind our listeners before we get to today's topic, um, what the Stewart Group is all about. Uh, Stewart Financial Group is a financial services company that um, helps out locals with their investments, um, that being wealth management, and their KiwiSaver, pensions, and insurance. Now, uh, in the news very recently, inland revenue uh, and KiwiSaver, what's the tie-up there? Oh, it's our job to be fair. That's right. <laughs> That's <laughs> that right. Old tag from the, about a decade ago that they don't use anymore. Um, so what it is, this is around KiwiSaver where there's about 450,000 Kiwis that are enrolled in KiwiSaver, um, you know, looking after the uh, pennies to take care of the pounds, so to speak, for their future retirement. So they're enrolled. And of the 450,000, um, about 120,000 recently received letters from the revenue uh, requesting uh, payment for um, the underpayment of tax, mm. this being where their uh, tax rate applied to their KiwiSaver was under their marginal rate. So, for example, if I was on a, a 28% tax rate with my salary, but I had inadvertently put um, uh, 10.5% on my KiwiSaver, I received an invoice for the top-up. Mm. But the flip side being that there are a significant portion of Kiwi, or a, a large amount of that 450,000, unfortunately didn't specify a tax rate. And when you don't specify a tax rate on your KiwiSaver, you're put at the top, top tax rate of 28%, irrespective wow. of what your tax rate is. And unfortunately, you don't get a refund. So the people... People feel a little aggrieved. I can understand that. Why why don't you get a refund when if you don't pay enough, you have to pay the difference? <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's why I use that little <laughs> joke about their old byline. Right. It's our job, to be fair. Um, look, the same thing applies with um, things such as term deposits, um, you know, savings accounts. You know, if you don't specify a tax mm-hmm. rate, you flip to the um, a top marginal rate. Uh, it's a way of the um, naturally, I guess, it's a way that the revenue and the government protects itself mm-hmm. uh, and ensures that it's it's not under provisioned. Um, yeah. So you can't use that excuse. I didn't know. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Look, it's on the taxpayer to put in their right details, and I guess this kind of comes back to, you know, why is it, you know, me as a financial advisor, and you know, we look after um, a lot of Kiwis with their um, hard earned savings. And, you know, both in decumulation and accumulation phase, you know, um, because, you know, people that are slightly older are often in decumulation and those that are younger mm-hmm. are in accumulation. But one of the reasons why you do seek advice is so that, you know, these little things are done properly. Yeah, like, sure. you know, what are your earnings? You know, what do you earn? What is your tax rate? So you don't receive a, a letter from the revenue asking you for money. 
You would think it wouldn't be very easy to fall into that trap that whoever's organising your Kiwi Saver would be in the know, wouldn't you? Well, look, Ken, you'd think that, but look, I meet a lot of Kiwis that they don't even know the institution that their Kiwi Saver is worth, mm. let alone their fund allocation, let alone what tax rate they've, they've put it in at, or, mm. you know, wrote on the piece of paper many moons ago. And the other one is, look, a lot of people enrolled, um, they might have enrolled in, back in 2008 when they were 16 years of age. Mm. Well, their tax rate at the time was very low. Mm. Their tax rate now, you know, with KiwiSavers coming up to, I think it's year 12, 12-year 12 anniversary, hey, you know, they're a top income earner now. I mean, a top income earner is anyone over $70,000, yeah. which is a great, you know, wedge of Kiwis now are on the top rate. And so you, you would have had, you know, earnings creep on the, in, in a positive trajectory and you may not have updated your uh, tax rate. Hence the need for just rechecking in, getting some advice, and the reason why KiwiSaver, it's not a bottom-drawer investment. You do actually need to focus on it. It is one of those things that's very easy to forget. It's a bit like insurance when we talk to Trudy, your insurance mm. expert, that uh, you take out your insurance when you're 20 and you put it in the bottom drawer and you forget about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they are something that needs to be dusted off, you know. Um, Who owns it? You know, what are the terms, the amount, et cetera? And just one, if if I just go back to the Kiwis have just touched on that, just one further point, actually two further points. The first being a, a lot of Kiwis are in default funds. And a default funds are positioned to heavily towards cash. And fixed income, which means you've you've positioned yourself at the bottom end of the risk curve. So yes, you've taken a very risk averse approach, but the returns um, commensurate with that risk are very low. In fact, after tax, they're only a margin over inflation, long term. Mm. So a lot of Kiwis have left a lot of cash on the table, and it, um, from the stats that I've read, a lot of those default it's a lot of those default members that are on the wrong tax rate. Mm. So look, it's 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 a question of people getting off the couch, seeking some advice, yep. or if you're a DIY type person, doing a little bit of homework and making sure that your you know your appetite for risk is reflected in your portfolio and your time horizon of investment. You know, a um, a thirty year old who's recently acquired their home is in a, in an accumulation phase with KiwiSaver. They're going to need to be. Um, and you know, I, I joke before about a lot of Kiwis don't know the fund they're in. Um, I remember talking to one buddy, and this is back in the day, and he said, "Oh yeah, I am in KiwiSaver. I see the money go out. I just know that the logo is red, <laughs> yeah. and that, that yeah. was all they knew." Yeah. So, and, and, and look, that is not uncommon. I bet it's not. Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine over the weekend, and he was saying that. Uh, his brother, who's over 65, I just want to clarify that this mm. is, is a point, uh, that you can use KiwiSaver a bit like a bank once you get to 65, that you can put money in and you can take money out. Is, is that the yes, case? Yes, you can. Yep. And for a lot of Kiwis who don't have a lot of money where they can go and get bespoke financial mm. advice, you know, in other words, a tailored portfolio specifically around their um, wants and needs, if they've got a smaller amount of capital, that they uh, want to get a slightly better long-run return, but mm. that is liquid, um, they can utilise KiwiSaver for the plus 65s. And it's within a, you know, KiwiSaver um, was built in a very robust fashion. I mean, it's very clean and elegant in the way that it was built. It's worked well, which is why Kiwis, they really do trust it. 
Do you have to give KiwiSaver much notice that uh, once you get the 65, or can you sort of use them like a bank, go in tomorrow and say, look, I want five grand? Yes, you can. Yeah, correct. Yeah, you can do that. Um, Look, it's a little bit administratively heavy on some of the KiwiSaver providers, Mm. but that's the reason why we prefer to use the overlay of a financial advisor so that people can actually plan and make sure they've got got everything tidy. Great idea. Mm. And uh, is there any restriction on how much you can take out and how much... No. You can put in once you get past 65? No, no, you can take it all out. It's, that's, wow. that's, that's the choice of the investor. And it's, look, it's something that a lot of people haven't really thought about in the early days because they saw KiwiSaver as purely an accumulation vehicle. Whereas the flip side is that as we've got older, you know, Kiwis had invested 12 years ago and now retiring and they were able to use the KiwiSaver in drawdown phase. I mean, even with a bit of fluctuation on the share market, uh, when you look at what uh, the return on most KiwiSaver accounts is, it's still better than putting money in the bank, isn't it? It is long term, but just remember that even a bond portfolio, a conservative bond portfolio, can for a period of time under underperform a term deposit. Mm. Because a term deposit is right at the short end of the curve. So, you know, typically most people are investing 60, 90, 120 days, whereas, say, the average bond portfolio might have a duration out to about three and a half years. Now, you want to talk about someone who started out life as a bright star and is now a black hole. Yes, yeah, that's um, the, um, well, was the now infamous Neil Woodford in the United Kingdom, one of the absolute pin-up boys of the uh, London banking scene. Yeah, so you've got an individual there who um, was with Invesco and was, you know, I say, you know, the, the pin-up boy of the DIY investor and also because he was followed so heavily by the retail public. Um, he was very open and transparent in the way he ran his operation. Um, and look, the public liked that and so did a lot of pension funds. However, the wheels have now fallen off with... Um, what happened is that um, there were some significant redemptions from some of the larger investors, some of the big pension funds, mm-hmm. and um, Neil had had an amazing track record for quite a long period of time, both at Invesco, Investec, sorry, and then himself when he went out on his own. However, when the when the wheels started to wobble, some of the pension funds elected that they would move their capital. Mm. In other words, their underlying funds would remove it from uh, Neil's care and custody. And what happened is that he he had to go to the market to redeem assets to fulfill his obligations. Now, what happens when that happens? If you have a very transparent book, and let's say you had 30% of your assets were in private equity and assets that were not very liquid, or they were at the early phase of investment, you know, kind of like your venture capital style assets, and so you had 30% in that, and you had 70% in liquid assets. Mm. So what happens is that the fund manager has to liquidate assets to meet the redemptions. And the problem with that, that has happened in, in uh, across Mr. Woodward's funds are that the portion of e-liquid assets has started to get much larger and the redemptions have snowballed. Mm. So what's happened is now the funds have been gated, which means funds can neither come in nor come out until a gradual realisation process uh, is committed to and um, and the funds are slowly dispersed. Mm-hmm. And, of course, what happens when that, that occurs is that the um, investing public become, let's say, irate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Does that mean there's light at the end of the tunnel for those investors with a gated uh, fund like that? Um, yes, it is. Yeah, it means there's an orderly um, orderly process and it allows the fund manager to protect the value of the investors. However, if you were one of those investors and you'd plan to um, 
say, forward fund your child's university mm. education with those funds, you might you wouldn't better get them out. So you might have um, settlement commitments for a house or a business. Are those funds or or those guys like uh, Neil Woodford with his uh, fund mm. managing? Are they common? I mean, are they like ten a penny? Everyone's doing it, and it's just bad luck that you got stuck. Um, look. That particular, the way that he was running it was a little different than others mm-hmm. because, um, and, and that's come out in some of the press over the last week, and that's just where that portion of e-liquid assets was a little higher. Um, but the, the, just the wall of redemptions was simply, it was, it was massive. Yeah. And, um, and when you don't have enough liquid assets and you're actually having to sell a lot of assets at depressed prices, um, that's difficult. Now, when I say depressed prices, when you have total transparency of the holdings, people can, an industry term is they can front run. So, so Ken, if I know that you've got to sell, uh, you know, $10,000 of, sorry, $10 million of tourism holdings because of redemptions and tourism holdings doesn't have a large market cap. So $10 million, if I know you're going to be forced to sell, we could take a short position in front of you, or an investor could take a short position in front of you, knowing that your large sale that you have to commit to mm. is going to depress the price. Mm. Yeah. Or other people who own the stock elect to get out before you do because they know your yeah. massive sale is up. about to come through. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and and so so the Woodford funds were very transparent in nature. And we're quite pioneering, but it's kind of, it's look, it's a, um, it's two sides to the coin. Well, you know. Sure. Mm. Is it just bad luck or would you, for instance, as a financial investor, when mm. you were suggesting to someone, I come along to you and say, look, uh, Nick, I want to invest in Neil Woodford's fund. Um, at that time, when everything was going yes. bells and whistles, would you have been saying, well, go for it. It looks <laughs> like it's as solid as a rock. <laughs> no, no, we wouldn't have. We, um, um, we have a um, CFIX um, accreditation, which is a the Centre for Fiduciary Excellence um, based out of um, uh, Canada, and we have a very, very strict vetting process that we put funds through, mm-hmm. and one of those criteria is the liquidity of the funds, mm-hmm. you know, what are they in. Uh, the other is the um, underlying investment philosophy of the funds, and the third being what is the cost and the performance. Yeah. And um, um, Mr. Woodford's funds um, would not meet that criteria for us. Why do you think so many people fall into that trap then of investing? I mean, here you are, you're uh, local, you've been around for over 30 years, you've always been doing the job mm. well, and I know, for instance, I've dealt with you guys myself, free mm. advice. Why do people fall into those traps and lose lose that big time? Um, well, Look, um, Mr. Woodford was deemed to be the Buffett of London, mm. so he had a he had a great platform, you know, to stand on mm. as a soapbox, so to speak, and people followed him. His his investment returns for a long period of time were very very consistent, um, or that they were very, they were very good, and um, so a lot of people you know enjoyed dealing with someone of notoriety. Mm. Um, look, you know, the type of funds we deal with, the people tend to. Um, mm, they don't want to be. They don't want to be in the spotlight like that. They just want to get on and do their job. Mm. Um, whereas others really enjoy that. And look, that's not uncommon. We've seen that in in, in other markets where, you know, you've got a um, so-called doyen of the industry for a period of time, and they, you know, they operate really well in the public media space. And um, but it's just not what we want to yeah. do. Are some of those funds a bit like a game of poker? It's a luck oh, of the draw. Or? Oh, I, I look. Oh, look. 
some of them some of them take take positions where they believe they can outsmart the market, mm. and some of them can over a period of time do that. Uh, most of the time, industry uh, industry studies would show that, on average, an active fund manager, so someone mm. who's out there speculating on investments that they know better than the market, etc. Um, the um, global studies show that those fund managers cannot outperform the underlying mm. indices after costs, and that's just that's yeah. proven. I mean, those uh, industry research papers have been around for a very long time, but that doesn't stop people trying. No. You can't ever really know the market, can you? <laughs> no, it's quite difficult. And uh, and for, look, for every time you hear that someone says that they can forecast the market or their crystal balls better than your and mine, um, we can find someone else on the other side who says that, that there's a contrary position. And that's a market. A market yeah. is a whole lot of uh, different views, and the market is a great aggregator of information in the form of price. Do you think that funds that uh, like... Uh, Neil Woodford is involved and do you think they ever come back to the heady days when they were bright stars will he be a bright star again do you think some people you do see a phoenix from the ashes but for the most part you don't because um and particularly with those DIY investors mm. um you know once bitten twice shy my mm. dad always talks about you know that that old analogy of the cat that gets on a hot stove will never yeah. get on a cold <laughs> one thereafter uh, most investors are like that yeah, yeah, once burnt. I mean, look, there are, there are still people out there who who were burned in 1987 in the New Zealand equity yeah, market, and they have not gone back into a single equity again. Well, never bought another share. So, so yeah, it'd be difficult for a fund manager to come back after people have been in a gated or burnt burnt fund. Whenever, uh, bit of a quick word about the wellbeing budget. What, yeah. what did you think of it? Uh, I was a little bit underwhelmed. Mm. I was. Yeah, I was really, I was kind of hoping for something that was going to be, you know, like the bit of wow factor. And, um, and I just, I just didn't feel it. And I, the reason why I was, and I was hoping there was going to be a bit, bit more wow factor because, you know, we've got a declining, um, we've got a, a growing negative sentiment for, for investor and business confidence, mm-hmm. which is often an early sign of a correction and a slowdown. You know, we've had the Reserve Bank cut interest rates by 25 points in September. The market is forecasting another 25 basis point cut. So that, you know, an economy that has declining, a declining cash rate indicates that the economy is slowing. I just was hoping that the budget was going to be a little more business focused, but mm-hmm. they, they took an absolute wellness approach. Um, yeah, yeah, I was a little bit underwhelmed. And look, my my comments are echoed by most of the business commentators that we can all read or hear about um, in the media. From your point of view, what should have been in that budget that would have made you feel slightly overwhelmed? Okay, um, well, a classic would be at the moment, in the history of this nation, we can borrow, the government, the sovereign state of New Zealand, can borrow long-term um, debt mm. can draw down long-term debt at rates unheard of, at rates that other finance ministers and prime ministers could only dream of. So we have a generational opportunity to build infrastructure assets today and lock in phenomenally long-term low, low rates mm. or low rates of interest. So, look, we know that our economy is growing. You know, it, it has been growing consistently. We know that our population is growing. This is a, this is a special part of the world, but we need to build infrastructure, and the opportunity is there now. And the aspect, you know, 
before before a truck before the engine before the engine of the tractors and trucks are started for these infrastructure projects, it takes years of planning. Mm. So the quicker we get started, the quicker it will occur. Because you know these projects are they take a phenomenally long time to complete, but we have that opportunity, and I think I think that that was where some of the opportunity was missed. Was it a well-being budget for anyone? Oh, certainly in in uh, in some of the sectors it was. You know, if you look at the the focus on uh, mental health mm. um, across the country, that was that was an absolute clear focus, and and was um, you know uh, as seen in the budget. Um, but other areas, I think it might take a little it, it might take a little bit of time for us to see exactly what what does a wellness budget actually mean. Mm. Um, it. Yeah, a lot of people are questioning you. Well, what actually is wellness? And they were hoping that was going to be defined in the budget, but a lot of people are still scratching their head with what it what it exactly means. Out of this budget, do you think the economy is going to get worse or better in the short term? Uh, I would say, well, um, I can have an opinion, but if I look at the if I look at the market, um, you know, if we look at interest rates, they're forecast the market's forecasting another twenty five basis point cut in September. The flip side is, and I'm going to hedge my bets on this one, Ken, <laughs> and that is that if you look at the New Zealand stock market, the stock market has been one of the better performing stock mm. markets in the developed world over the last 24 months, which bridges the, um, excuse the pun, <laughs> with Simon Bridges, but it bridges the um, period of the, um, you know, Labour governments, mm. um, you know, coming to um, power with the coalition partners of the Greens and NZ First. So if the stock market's to be believed, it's looking good. But yeah. if you're looking at the uh, interest rates, you'd say um, we're on the decline. Slippery slope. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Hence I said I'd hedge my bets. Right. Good on you, Nick. Look, if yeah. we need any financial advice, we want to come and see you at the Stewart Group. Just remind the listeners where you are. Uh, we're at 204 Kadamu Road, a large black basalt stone building with a tartan logo that you can't miss. Parking's easy and the coffee's good, and we always like to have a chat with people and help them out. Good on you, Nick. As always, our pleasure. You look after yourself. We'll talk to you same time, same place next time. Thank you. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from an authorised financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge by calling 0800 878 961. This program was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Kidnappers, a community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.